Hey, it's Jody Butts, and welcome to At Risk. A life in politics is not the celebrated role it once was. And the risks that come with throwing your hat in the ring? Harassment, loss of privacy, doxing have never been greater. With the Ontario election set to occur on or before June 2nd this year, I sat down with candidate Chi Nguyen, who is running as the Ontario Liberal Party candidate in Spadina, Fort York. We chat about how she intends to do politics differently, the issues closest to her heart, and why risks be damned. She's thrilled to be running in this election. Thank you for joining me, Chi, and welcome to At Risk. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here today, Jody. So let's talk about this upcoming election. What are the risks on the ballot? What's at stake? That's a beautiful, big, big question. I mean, I think for me, what's at stake is the future of the province. You know, I think in Ontario right now, we're at a real decision point about how we as progressives, how we want to build back. I know that we have overused that phrase to death, but this is a moment and it has been for the last two years where we've all sat with and thought about what needs to be different for us to be set up to succeed and to thrive. What are the systems that are here that we're operating in that are really creating harm? And how do we use government? And that's why I'm leaning into the conversation about public life and politics. How do we use government to help us navigate that and shift the conversation and just do things differently and really serve Ontarians? I have seen for the last three and a half years a government that doesn't feel like it has any compassion for people who are really suffering. So for me, that's what's at risk. I've got two kids who are seven and four, and the four-year-old starts public education in September. And I want a premier who fundamentally believes in and invests in the value of public education. That's not Doug Ford. So that's, for me, a huge part of what's on the line. You know, I think about the future pieces that also includes climate change. It also includes tackling the everyday immediate challenge of affordable housing. And it also means giving people a sense of economic dignity and the sense that they actually have a chance to succeed right now. So I think there's a lot on the table. And I think many of us are just starting to realize that the election is around the corner. It's uh, 59 days to go. That is a very precise number. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about doing politics differently. You used that phrase and, you know, the world is certainly different than it was five to 10 years ago. On this podcast, we talk a lot about how risks are intersecting, whether it's climate change and energy policy. Obviously, the pandemic has also been an economic event Mm -hmm. and we live in a very polarized world. So how can doing politics differently help us meet this moment that seems to be full of challenges? I love this question, Jody. I have been a longtime student and observer of politics. My first kind of forays into the world of politics started in university. I started a program when I was at uh, McGill called Women in House. This was Well, over 20 years ago now, and the reason I started it was I was really curious about what the experience was for women in leadership on the Hill. I wanted to see my MP at the time was Carolyn Bennett. I wanted to see what her life was like and what it meant to step into 
that kind of politics and that way of making change and shaping our world. I saw back then what it was like for women on the Hill, and it certainly was not easy. And it continues to be challenging, but I obviously much has changed since 2000. And so when I think about doing politics differently, I think about what a really inclusive, genuinely feminist, very collaborative way of showing up in service of our country could look like appreciating that every team is coming to the table with ideas. They're not all good ideas. Some have more strength than others, but that we're all actually working to a common goal, which is to preserve and build the future for Canada. And so that respect, I think, is sort of missing from the conversation. The way we set up politics feels so adversarial, and it's not actually the collective community building that I think many women and many people want to see from our leadership. I want to bring into the conversation that I'm trying to you know, really respectfully do. And of course, it is interesting. I took my my four-year-old out door knocking yesterday for the very first time. And in the morning, you know, he's been asking for a few weeks to get to come now. He's turned to me and he said, okay, mom, I'm ready for the fight. What time is the battle? And I was like, oh, I've been talking about the fight for Ontarians. And I've been talking about like where we want to take the province. And I still use very coded, adversarial, militaristic, violent language to talk about this. My spirit and what I hope we are doing is talking about building and learning and doing this very differently means that I need to check my language. So, you know, my four-year-old is a little disappointed to find out that (laughs) door knocking wasn't an actual battle. (laughs) Um, But it was was a really interesting moment for me just to kind of take pause and, and think about that. That's fascinating. My partner, Gerald, always says that elections are multiple choice, not essay questions. Um, So that need for differentiating your candidacy, your party's platform is definitely there. But I would also offer up in law, one of the rules when you're a litigator is that you can cross-examine. You don't have to examine crossly. And I think that is something that, you know, Ontarians and Canadians are looking for, particularly looking at the reception that they've given the collaborative agreement between the Liberals and the NDP at the federal level. So you're running to defeat an incumbent. How are you going to both differentiate, but not necessarily bring anger or charged language to the table? Oh, that's a really good question. I think that it's really important at this time to recognize that people are feeling angry and those emotions are valid and real. It's been incredibly difficult. And, you know, you talked a little bit about the polarization and the extremes that people are feeling. There is no clear way to muddle through this time because it is incredibly complex. And the decisions you're making for your family, your household are the ones that are right for you in the right moment based on the information that you have at hand. Uh, So, There are things that Doug Ford has done that have been deeply disappointing for me. You know, I think back to April 2021, where they made the decision to add additional policing powers, to close playgrounds. Like, those were not decisions that were grounded in good policy, and they made me irate. They made me feel absolute distrust in government. And that was the first time I've ever really just, like, my heart sank. What choices are we making here? It felt just like this... Um, real betrayal. I know that I will have and hold some of that anger, but I will also hold alongside that 
an aspiration of doing politics differently. For me, that means bringing people in who've never done this before, who have not been politicized before, who may have had a taste of it in this last two years of the pandemic time because they've had to make new judgments and make sense of language and the things that are happening around, are we masking? Do we have access to data? Where are the rapid tests? How do we do this? How do we navigate this without more supports and clear guidance on what all these decisions can mean? So I think I want to just recognize that it's a complex time and we have to be inviting people in to build government together. Like I know that sounds like really idealistic and naive and a bit optimistic, but it's because I genuinely believe that we only get the government that we really aspire to by each being in service of a community, of our communities. I see that when people show up at community meetings and show up to run their daycare boards and do the things that make our lives better, how do we translate that to a kind of collective national conversation? That, to me, I think is when we invite people into a real vision for the country. And I hope that this time lets us see each other in that way. We have so much trust building work to do as leaders. And that's a huge starting place for me. You know, I've, I've talked to a couple of people in the doors recently who've just feel lost, feel like government's absolutely abandoned them. And of course, when we start our conversation, I'm giving them space to be angry about the mandates and angry about the decisions that feel like real intrusions into their life and trying to hold that alongside people's aspiration for something different right now because it's so, so exhausting. Yeah, politics doesn't have the best reputation right now. You know, if you look at the Proof Strategies report on trust, politicians rank low. What do you feel is the responsibility of candidates to try and restore some of that trust. What are some actions that you're going to take to try and at least make a bit of a dent uh, into what is a very large problem? I think it's really important that we treat each other as adults. Like I think there's a lot of infantilizing or trying to make politics really easy and bite-sized into quick, snappy sound bites. And Everyone knows that the political problems that we face are much bigger and much more complex. And like when I have conversations at the doors with voters, I'm coming to them with that lens of like, can we have a conversation that's focused on learning right now? I can tell you a little bit more about some of the systems that are at play. I'm going to invite you in to think about like the different roles of the province versus Ottawa and starting from that place of curiosity about where and how government can be in service for us and what we can do for government, right? Like it needs to be about that exchange. And that can be also like very local. Like, can you do something for your neighbor? Can you do something for someone who's in your community? And we did some of that. We started to flex those muscles in the very early days of the pandemic. You know, I think about the mutual aid groups that have emerged or the ways in which people responded to each other who needed help. I think we got really tired. And that's absolutely human because it has been a very long two years. And so when I'm trying to show people that we can do it differently. I invite them to do that and let them know that that's politics too. That's community. And that is how we care for one another. So that's really how I'm trying to frame that with people at the doors, you know, and I think help them sort of see like where we can go together because we can't do it by ourselves and leaders can model that. And I hope I'm doing that well with folks. Said something to someone yesterday at the doors. They asked a great question about where we're going with ODSP. And I said, you know, I don't have the answer for that yet. And they just looked at me and they said, I've never heard one of you politicians 
say, I don't know before. And I was like, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I want to have this conversation with you. And I don't have these answers. We are working on them. We're doing them together. And I'll come back to you. And I think being relational, I think is really critical to what people are hungry for right now. And I think one of the things that I'm really excited about with the new Ontario Liberal Party is that 90% of us are first-time candidates. We're stepping into the ring because we do care. We want to do this differently. And I'm so proud. I'm so proud of this team that's being built by Stephen Del Duca. It's, it's a lot of fun. I'm having a great time. Oh, well, that's wonderful to hear. And I'm so thrilled that you and other candidates are throwing your hats in the ring. Politics feels a little riskier these days, right? The prime minister, you know, had gravel thrown at him during the last federal election. No doubt Kathleen Wynne suffered a lot while premier and as a candidate. How did you think about those risks or or those downsides as you were making the decision to seek the Liberal Party nomination? I think it's really clear that we have given many politicians a very hard time. You're absolutely right that we've really attacked our leaders. They're in a difficult position to govern. None of it is easy. But I think that's a real beautiful opportunity for anyone who's stepping into it to, again, invite people to understand the challenges, to invite people to understand what it means to govern on behalf of everybody. You know, it's never going to be perfect and many people will probably not listen. But I think the people who are listening will see those signals that political leaders are trying to come to this with a kind of different energy and sense of commitment to the country. I think there's a real exciting opportunity now to think about what trust looks like for each other. It's going to take a long time. And of course, we've been through a heck of a lot. There are huge efforts that need to be continuing around building relationships with Indigenous communities in this country. It's really not that long ago since the first kind of uncovering of the bodies of the 215. But because so much has happened in the last few months, I think we just need to go slow and to focus on relationships and trust and keep holding those hard questions as leaders about what we can do to be kinder to each other. If you don't mind me asking, what are the conversations like between you and your fellow women candidates? I know a good part of your career you've spent on advancing women and their needs, including winning the Governor General's Award in commemoration of the person's case. So what are you talking about amongst yourselves as you enter into this race and consider its implications? So among the women candidates, the conversations have been really interesting. I mean, there have been conversations about the risk you know, and some of the violence and harassment and bullying that we're seeing, the like explicit misogyny, the racism that's existing in communities, like we're all experiencing different levels of it, depending on um, our own backgrounds. So those are part of the conversations, you know, it's a it's a real community of women candidates talking through these and giving each other space to kind of work through how difficult this is. The other ways in which we're talking about this is, you know, we are coming to this with lots of curiosity about the policy stuff and a recognition that like you win campaigns by doing the ground game. But many of us are, are, are holding that alongside the work. And I said, I think that's really helping us stay connected and inspired as talking about how we want to change Ontario or the things that are really critical and how we want to govern. So 
those kind of values conversations, I think, are all helping us feel really good about where we want to go and how we want to show up. And so I'm so proud of the way all of the candidates, you know, we're, we're first timers and we're, we're stepping into this and trying it on for size. And I hope that it's connecting with Ontarians, but I'm really proud of the way in which if you scroll through the list of Ontario Liberal candidates, it looks like Ontario. Like, it's just wild. I, like, it feels so good to actually have that mirrored back. And, you know, I talked about being on the Hill in my early 20s. Ottawa didn't look like that at the time. It was a bit of a different image. So I'm really proud of the intentional work to weave in inclusion, to think about these questions of equity. I think it's really powerful that we're doing this work in this way. That's fantastic. So if you are successful in your bid to represent Spadina Fort York, what issues do you hope to champion? I think the number one issue in my riding and in my community is affordable housing. So I grew up working uh, and serving my community, spent a lot of time at Scouting Court Community Center, which is an amazing rec center downtown. It was where I got my first job and I ran the day camp and my brother and sister and I all spent like many summers there. Those are the kinds of places that I think every community deserves. And everyone in that neighborhood, I know, like 93% of people have had to leave Toronto. They can't stay. They can't afford options here. You know, their parents may still have properties downtown, like had bought earlier. But it is absolutely heartbreaking for me that we can't give ourselves the opportunity to raise families downtown. And that just breaks my heart. And I think about the housing crisis across across the income spectrum. There are folks who are really struggling, folks who are just needing to make different housing choices, right? And I often think about if you're having family violence issues, how do you think about moving when you can't even consider the rents? Like it's just, yeah. I mean, housing is a really critical issue. I think we all deserve a safe and secure roof over our heads. We have huge work to do to address that. And of course, that ties into other uh, important issues around community health and um, well-being. And there are many issues that I want to champion and focus on, but I think that issue around housing is really core to me as someone who really wants to see people stay in the best riding in Ontario. And we continue to linger in this pandemic. It feels like maybe we're coming to the end, but COVID has surprised us before. So I try to be really careful about counting my chicks before they hatch. But you've written a lot about the recovery from the pandemic and what needs to be front and center in those discussions. Can you tell us a little bit about how you see the recovery and what should be shaping it? And has your thinking changed at all as the pandemic has gone on longer than I think any of us really anticipated? I'm so exhausted of the pandemic. I know we all are, Jody. Um, but I'm hopeful that we can get to that place of talking about recovery and where we want to go. And it's funny, sort of last summer, I was working on a team that we started to, you know, think about what were the right kinds of ways to have the community conversations about that recovery. And of course, we've kind of put a bit of a pause and hold on them because we keep coming up against those waves and keep having to put out fires instead of being more prepared to kind of steady through this time. But in terms of the places I'd like us to go post-recovery, I've always really fundamentally believed that we have undervalued care in our economy. And so how women show up to provide care informally, formally, as care workers, 
in the care sector, providing childcare, providing education, all of these are huge resources and assets and investments in the kinds of people we want to support and nurture and grow from six years old to 80, like all across those lifespans. The role of care in our economy is absolutely crucial. And having worked at United Way Toronto and in the social services space for a long time, I know how critical that care piece is to holding our communities together. And so we actually need to figure out how we do a kind of different accounting of the value of all of that labor, because it is labor, and start to really invest in the supports needed for the carers to actually be cared for themselves. So it's a huge piece of the work that I think is really critical in terms of how we transform our systems. And I would love government to actually put that in the center of how we govern. How do we care for each other? How do we build institutions and systems that have care at the core and compassion? You know, I understand the need for bureaucracy and some efficiencies, but where do we put people at the center of the work? Because really the people should be our source of inspiration and our driving um, raison d'etre. And so to me, that is where we should be thinking and holding questions about the kind of Ontario that we want to build. So you've mentioned a few times knocking on doors, which is such a huge part of winning a riding. What has been the most surprising thing you've heard at the door so far? I've always known that people's literacy around government is not particularly high. Right? Not all of us got really obsessed with Canadian politics as a, as a teenager. <laughs> Fundamentally, not understanding that there is a provincial government, that Queen's Park really exists, or you know, really seeing government as the city government and Ottawa and not understanding our federal state. I'm really surprised at how little people engage with the system. And of course, you know, I did a degree in political science and, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about this. And of course, some of my networks and communities really think about politics a lot. So it's really interesting and surprising for me at the door is how many opportunities there are to do civics education lessons for people. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And so wherever we land with the conversation, I always say, please just turn up to vote. I hope our values align and I hope you see value in how we're having this conversation, but just get to the polls. Just do this one small act as a starting place, but do another act and then just keep doing it because it feels damn good to care about your community. I would love for that sense of civility and community-mindedness to be as infectious as it feels for me. It is what gives me absolute joy to see people be active in taking care of each other. That's the thing that I'm really excited about seeing more of, is like inviting people into that and holding that as a civic responsibility and a way to kind of come back to recover, start to really love and value your neighbors. Well, I love this message about care. I think that's really important, particularly for provincial governments. I mean, I think it's important across levels of government. But the reason why I focus in on the provincial level is because so many services are really managed and led and funded at that level from healthcare to education. You mentioned the person at the doors regarding wage mm-hmm. assistance income assistance. These are such vital services. And it's hard to imagine a world where our need for these services decreases. Mm -hmm. And yet the pandemic has been such a tough time for these services. 
Kathleen Wynn championed education, Dalton McGinty championed education. When you think about that message of care, how does that inform our public education system? Oh, this is such an amazing question. I think the opportunity to really think about what we need to do to support kids moving through these next chapters, whatever they are, is so critical. Like everybody knows that, you know, we've lost a couple years of real learning and social cues and all of the things for young people. My four-year-old's going to go to his very first birthday party next weekend. You know, he's four. You know, at this stage, my seven-year-old had already gone to, I don't know how many birthday parties the opportunities to really put care into how we think about our education system are there, you know, and I think school boards have been under-resourced through this time in terms of actually starting to plan for and shifting um, out of this crisis moment. And it has been incredibly hard for administrators and teachers. And I have so much respect for how much they've had to hold during this whole time. And we need to be talking about how we build community into schools. You know, I think of schools as such important community hubs. It's a place where parents can get connected, where community members can find each other. And we have a real opportunity to leverage that by putting care into how we consider our education policies. There's big work because I think any transformation of any system requires everyone or many of us being ready for it. And I hope there's appetite to come back to start to really envision what that can look like. Yeah, it's been really hard. I have two kids as well, but they're they're a bit older. But both children uh, started high school during the pandemic, and I feel like they've missed out on so much uh, the core learning piece, but also, as you suggest, the social aspects of making friends, of finding new passions. You know, it's it's been really difficult. And it's certainly a priority for me when I think about this upcoming election that I just really want to see real investment in the public education system. When does the Ontario Liberal Party plan to release that aspect of the platform? Do you have any insider uh, hints for us? (laughs) Uh, All I can say is I know that we are underway and developing those pieces. I know a ton of work has gone into our platform development process. I think, you know, starting last January, hosted like hundreds of calls, conversations, town hall meetings, met with hundreds of stakeholders. So I know the policy team is hard at work um, to pull it together, but I I don't know the timeline. I'm very curious as well. I suspect it'll be in the coming weeks fairly soon because I know Ontarians are curious and ready to hear our great plans, Um, but I can't say more than that. No problem. Just always try to get hints and tips for our listeners. (laughs) Um, So I think for some people, the recent polls that show a likely, not certain, but likely outcome of this election being a Ford majority. People are surprised by that. Are you surprised by that? Do you think there's things to be considered in terms of the timing around some of these polls? Yeah, I mean, a poll is a moment in time and they don't tell the stories and the only poll that matters is election day. So there's a lot of work that every party is doing right now to get ready to present options and to present a path forward. And we are on that path. We are all on that path. And I'm really excited about where we're going with our path. I'm really proud of our plan. So I'm not listening to the polls. I'm focused on the doors because that's who turns up at the elections. 
those are the most important conversations to be having right now. And so uh, I'm not checking 338.com. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Del Duca is not that widely known in the province. Mm. Obviously, this campaign will change that. What do you think people should know about Stephen that they may not already know? So I think what Ontarians should know about Stephen is that he fundamentally believes in us, like in Ontario. You know, he doesn't come with a silver spoon in his mouth. He came up through the kinds of community and political organizing that I think are really about strong and active listening and community. I really appreciate that we've got a leader who's got that kind of a different story and lived experience to bring to the table. So I think that's really exciting for me. And I also think that Stephen can tell a really good dad joke. He's actually really funny. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as Ontarians get to know him, they're going to see a really smart, competent, good person. And that is what we need is like real collaboration, good, deep listening, and just good common sense. And the ability to think practically about where we go. I think his commitment to Ontario is really incredibly strong. He wants us all to succeed. And I really feel that we are building a team that is focused on that. What do you think are the lessons learned from the last election? So I think 2018 was a very, obviously a very challenging time for the Ontario Liberal Party. As governments do, they fall and they fall pretty hard. And this was probably as bad a fall as we could have had. So I think the lesson is that it was time to go back and start to do community building again and to be back connected and rooted into our friends and neighbors. And that's what's happening right now. That's what we're trying to do as we get out and have the conversations at the doors. But that being connected and being rooted and really having deep roots in all of the province is the work. Political parties, I think, are the most successful when they are supported across, you know, the whole region and seen as effective in terms of the, the positioning, the, the leadership and the values that they put on full display. So that, I think, has been a big part of the work. And I, you know, I had a lot of love for Kathleen Wynne and the way she governed. I really miss having a queer feminist grandma premier around the table. I think the decisions would have been really different in this pandemic time. And so it's given us a real kind of stark contrast in thinking about where we want to go and what we imagine and want and deserve in the leadership for Ontario tomorrow. That's why I think some of the lessons that are important are about really staying rooted in community and our riding associations and building back that trust and showing up for each other. Okay, last question. We are in another wave of COVID. It is unclear what impact that is going to have on our hospital systems and on our communities. What impact do you think another wave of COVID might have on this campaign? And what do you think the Liberal Party can do differently to help us better manage what has been just an extraordinarily difficult time for all of Ontario. Yeah, I know that we are now deep into this new cresting wave of COVID and we're all so exhausted, right? Nobody has any reserves in their tank. I think what we can do and show up for Ontarians as is compassionate and non-judgmental and open and inviting. So people are having to make decisions 
all the time right now without the guidance, without the data, without really understanding what's happening. And of course, I think there's a role for all leaders to be modeling the kind of behaviors that we want to see. You know, our team is staying masked. Um, our team is, you know, taking lots of precautions because we want to kind of continue to signal that it's important to care for one another. Uh, and while we don't, you know, there's no public health rules right now about masking, the guidance is still, you know, let's keep doing the things which are good hand hygiene, et cetera. I think one of the things that we have done really successfully is have really strong vaccination rates in Ontario. And I think that's a huge saving grace and it will hopefully help our hospital systems make it through this current wave. And, you know, we don't quite know how it's going to impact us. And that's the part that's so terrifying. And so, you know, I think what happens on June 2nd or whenever the uh, election day is, is that I think many Ontarians may stay home. And so we have to remind them a, we can do this safely. B, there's so much on the line. And C, these elections absolutely do matter. Like, I worry a little bit that we're going to see reduced voter turnout. And of course, I, um, I'm running in Spadina, Fort York, where we had a very unusual situation federally, uh, you know, but also really terrible experience for voters at the poll, people waiting two, three hours to get to vote uh, federally in September it was, I'm sure, an incredibly difficult undertaking for Elections Canada to pull off that election, and they did. And there were, again, lessons learned out of that experience. But I think from a like democratic practice piece, we have to really think about how we're going to make sure that people feel supported and safe and just showing up to the ballot box, because that's so critical. Um, I'm hearing that there's going to be 10 days in advance polls. I'm hoping that really helps people just get this opportunity done in a way that feels safe for them. But it is something that is weighing on my mind is how we actually deliver Ontarians to the polls and help them do it in a way that feels good for them. Chi, thank you so much for throwing your hat in the ring and, you know, taking the risks that come with doing that. I wish you every success and I really appreciate your time today and speaking with me. Thank you so much, Jody. I really enjoyed our conversation. 